재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 그것도 아버지 잘 따르셨습니다 네 그만해라 이거 좀 보기 싫다 네, 이런 의견들이 있단 말이에요 외국의 사회가 굉장히 조급증이 역지사제라고 그랬잖아요 내 가족이 그랬다라면 가만히 있겠어요? 제발 대답하시는사람들뭐하세요 사람들이 아마 이랬을 것 같아요 야그 규정보다 조금 더 해도 어제도 괜찮았고 그제도 괜찮았고 그전에도 괜찮았고 You're hearing some sounds there from a new documentary on the Sewol ferry tragedy, the two-year anniversary of which we are marking in a special segment today rather than bringing you our customary Planet Korea segment. On that Wednesday morning, two years ago today, the ferry left Incheon bound for Jeju with 476 passengers on board. 325 of them were students from a single high school. About 50 minutes into the trip, a sharp turn caused the overloaded ship's cargo to shift. Water flowed into the cargo bay, and from that point, 304 lives were lost. This new documentary is called Upside Down, and we are talking to the director, Kim Dong-bin. Uh, Dong-bin, thank you for coming in today. Thank you for having me, Kurt. It's great to have you. Uh, two years have gone by. Uh, that's right. a very short time in terms of the emotional healing of these families. But I think um, in some ways, there are some people out there that would say over the course of two years, everything that can be said about this incident in some way has been said or other. What What's new in this documentary? What do you bring that's sort of new to the conversation? Well... The information hasn't been really uh, been put out by the government or the agency. So I would say this documentary is about really looking back to what happened and hearing from the fathers themselves and the professors or lawyers or the professionals in the area. So this documentary concentrates about you know, looking back to where we were and where we are going right now in the society. The title, Upside Down, uh, obviously that's a reference to those horrifying pictures of the boat slowly turning upside down, but I get the feeling it doesn't only refer to the upside down turn of the boat, right? Right. Well, uh, when, I, when I first planned um, about the documentary, I thought the society, Korean society, was upside down in general. The whole idea of people coming first or lives coming first uh, seemed to be uh, turned upside down, which is why uh, we titled Upside Down. Hmm. What kind of tone are you striking with this documentary? Well, we um, wanted to make a um, documentary that's dry as possible. So the ferry tragedy itself is so traumatic and so sad. So we wanted to bring something very investigative, but at the same time delivers that emotion um, from hearing the father. So we wanted that uh, cold, but at the same time, uh, some emotions to it. You mentioned it has an investigative element. Uh, one of the main criticisms, as you mentioned earlier, is that the government uh, is accused of not really releasing enough information here. Uh, the press is looking for information, but there's been criticism of the press, too, for not digging deep enough. We have a couple of clips from this documentary, and uh, I want to play one. This is from Ted Gupp, professor of journalism at Emerson College, talking about accountability and the press in this incident. You want the press to be independent. You want it to be aggressive. 
You want it to be vigilant. You want it to keep an eye on government and power and corporations and individuals. It's supposed to provide a voice for people that don't have a voice, to be what we call the fourth estate, so that sometimes government isn't capable of watching over itself and, and needs an outside eye, and we provide that. And so Dongbin, this soundbite kind of hints at, yeah, uh, this was a, an incident of negligence by the captain and the guys that were on the boat. But there's a sort of a systematic reason why, A, the boat went down, it wasn't inspected, why the rescue didn't happen fast enough. There's a whole lot of investigation that should have been done. Right, right. So, well, I wanted to focus on several parts, including what you said about um, sinking, like why did it sink or how did we allow um, the boat to sink or how did the press react to this incident? What usually happened in Korean society is that when such disasters happen, reporters would usually receive um, press kits or press reports from the government or the agencies and they would report that instead of digging much deeper. And what Ted Gubb is saying about it is that you want the press to be independent as much as you can. That way we have checks and balances with the government and agencies. Yeah. Uh, There is a whole question of accountability here. There is a danger in a way that this becomes rather wonky, that it's looking at the local uh, politics and the mechanisms and the press and so forth, uh, and you kind of get lost in the weeds of that. Uh, who, who actually are the target viewers of this uh, documentary? Is it the, the Korean crowd or is it a global crowd? Well, I planned it for a global crowd, but at this point, I'm more concentrated on the Korean crowd because what happened is that when people talk about a civil fairy tragedy, a lot of people are divided just over the fact that it's about the tragedy. So I want as much people, you know, no matter where, they, where they stand on political stance, you know, to watch the documentary and really look back to what happened and where we're, where we're going as a society. Hmm. Some people, have, you know, this it's two years later. Uh, this site out in Gwangwamun where people have been essentially camping out and uh, creating a memorial and lobbying the government has been there every day for these past two years. Some people say that the families are um, taking it a bit far, that they're perhaps uh, right. exploiting their status as victims. You've actually got another clip in the movie by a crime and victim psychologist named Jong Sik Kong. Let's listen to that right now. It is the most painful experience for human beings to tolerate the death of family, in particular their child. If their child died like that, they would do the same. But some say the bereaved families make bad use of the Seoul disaster politically for their own interests. No one can do that when their children died. So there's a point of view right there. Right. Yeah. Uh, are you espousing a certain point of view? Most documentaries do, of course. Right. Well, I'm mostly saying that just because you're tired doesn't mean everything's solved. And we observed from the Sail Ferry tragedy that a lot of things about this society as a whole were you know, uncovered on surface. So it's not just a problem for the family members, but it's our problem as a society. And what Mr. Kong is saying is that if your child died like that, you know, you won't stay silent or you won't stay put. You know? So why are you saying that they should stay put? This is our own, like, as a whole society, this is our problem. You saw these uh, pictures of the Sewell Ferry, hours and hours of the Sewell Ferry tipped over, just like all of us did two years ago. Right. Did you have a point of view on the incident right when you saw those first live pictures, or did it take you a while to develop and uh, sort of 
digest and gestate what your point of view was? Well, I was at home um, when the tragedy happened back in the States, and um, like everyone else, you know, I read the news and it said everyone was rescued. So I, I was relieved, but, you know, a few minutes later or a few hours later, um, we found out that it wasn't true. So I started thinking that, wow, there's really something wrong with this society. There's really, you know, there's got to be something wrong. And that's what I developed um, right after I saw the incident. So. Yeah, because the decision to make a, a documentary was pretty quick on your part. It was about right. uh, two weeks or so after the actual incident that That's you launched true. the crowdfunding and started mm-hmm. to put together the logistics. Right. So, I mean, I, I can kind of understand that as a media producer, mm-hmm. uh, somebody you want to stay on it and follow the story as it develops. Some might right. say, eh, why so soon? Right. Well, um, I thought this was more than just a fairy sinking you know, itself, you know, because we realized that a lot of things in Korean society was not being followed, like safety regulations or everything along that line. So I thought maybe we could produce something with citizen volunteers that goes much deeper into the you know society as a whole. How important was the crowdfunding aspect? Well, at first we donated from our, like our team members donated, but we realized that a lot of people wanted to join the team, but they couldn't because, you know, for physical or financial reasons. So we thought maybe we could put out a crowdfunding and then those of, you know, people who can't make the team or couldn't attend, you know, sessions could donate money and we could, you know, use that to produce. So um, most, if not all, of our, you know, production cost was handled by crowdfunding. So it's very important. That's successful. How much did you raise at the end? Um, about $40,000. That's significant. Right. It's a fascinating angle that you, uh, decided to make this while you were, you, you live in Boston, right? Right. A huge effort to raise the money and to fly all this way to Korea. Have you essentially spent the last two years in Korea making this? Right. About 90% of my time in the past two years I've been in Korea. Has, it must have consumed you basically. Right. Has anything changed in, in your perspective during that time? Well, I look at you know, my surroundings, like, for example, when I, you know, go to restaurants, you know, I look at where the exit signs are or where the fire distinguishers are. Okay. So, you know, that really, you know, struck me that maybe, you know, I could be in a similar disaster or tragedy. So that that changed my point of view. Do you foresee any uh, distribution challenges on this film? Well, we couldn't um, distribute to uh, one of those multiplexes, so... And we're only distributing to independent cinemas, mm-hmm. movie theaters. So that's a challenge since a lot of Koreans don't really know about those theaters or about the documentary itself, actually. But, you know, that's one of our biggest challenge. A previous Sewol documentary you caused that whole kerfluffle over at right. uh, Busan right. a year or right. so back. Uh, so are you just shying away from the Korean film festivals or are you trying to get it in there? We're trying and we actually went to um, the 7th DMZ International Film Festival last year. So that was uh, one of the success on Korean film festivals for us. You had been a bit of a filmmaker before, right? You made a right. couple of documentaries. Right. Nothing on this scale. Nothing on this scale. Nothing with crowdfunding or nothing with, you know, citizens, volunteers who doesn't, you know, know how to produce a documentary or movies. Were you, were you kind of the brains of the outfit in terms of video production and workflow and all of that? Right, right. One of the most challenging thing about producing this was to actually convince people, team members, that we're doing this because of this reason. And I had to get their approvals or, you know, agreements uh, because this was our team effort. So that was a challenging part, but um, I'd had to lead them to certain directions or, you know, take part in a lot of production efforts. How should people ideally feel 
after watching this documentary? Well, I want them to be on their way home and look at where they are and say, wow, like maybe I should think about safety. Maybe I should think about what's happening in our society. Um, and then I want them to start talking about it uh, with their friends or family members. You know, maybe there's something wrong with this society in safety aspects or, you know, different aspects. And the movie itself is quite dry in an effort for that kind of, you know, feeling because if the movie itself cries, then I felt like the audience would cry together and then just get over it. You know, it would be an emotional relief. And I didn't want that. So when they go home, you know, I want them to really think about it and then start talking about it. So it's not necessarily a politically uh, intoned kind of film. Right. Uh, it's not just a pure tearjerker in terms of emotion. Right. You want people to be, uh, I, for lack of a better word, um, concerned and right. uh, start thinking about issues of public safety. Right. We really try to make it like that. So we could have used, you know, those footages that we, you know, that could make people cry or that could, you know, make people mad. But we didn't. We wanted to stay as fair as we could and stay as dry as we could because the self fair tragedy itself is really, you know, challenging and traumatic. So we mm -hmm. didn't want to, you know, throw that to the audience and say cry and then, you know, get over it with. It's such a heavy subject matter. It would be very easy to play the emotional card over right. and over, wouldn't it? Uh, so in practical terms, where do people set their sights on seeing this movie? Um, are they looking in their local indie theater? Are they looking online? Where are they going? Uh, they could go to their nearby independent theaters or um, we're trying to um, get it uploaded to IPTV. Uh, so if they have that accessibility, they could watch it on IPTV. Uh, but mostly I would recommend uh, independent movie theaters. Understood. Kim Dongbin is the director of Upside Down, a recently released documentary on the Sewol Ferry tragedy and its victims Dongbin, thank you for coming in today. Thank you for having me, Kurt. And as we exit this interview, we've got one more clip from the documentary. This is some fathers, some parents of their beloved children that they lost on the Sewol Ferry, reminiscing about the kids they lost. She was a baby with big appetite and smiled and laughed a lot. As a baby, she was very active. This guy was so generous that he always treated his friends, hamburgers or whatever. Other guys chip in, but Seho liked to treat friends. Whenever he got some money, he treated as many as 20 to 30 hamburgers for his friends. Others say their adolescent kids don't want to talk to dad, but that wasn't the case with me and my girl. Tongbin liked to sit close to me when studying. Except for school hours, she was always with me. She would always be with me unless she had special schedules like hanging out with friends. And that will wrap this special Saturday edition of Koreascape. Our show is produced by Christina Saul with associate production by Jamie Lee. GP1 is our writer. I'm Kurt Asian. If you enjoyed today's show, please do throw us a like on Facebook or follow us at the Twitter handle 
at Koreascape. If you would like to hear the third part of our Korea 2050 series that's coming up next Saturday, we will be back again, though, on Monday with fresh editions of Culture Pulse and Rock Scholar. We'll see you then.